Chapter 27 Thou canst make me clean. This chapter is based on Matthew 8, 2-4, 9, 1-8, and verses 32-34, Mark 1, 40-45, and chapter 2, 1-12, and Luke 5, 12-28. Of all diseases known in the East, the leprosy was most dreaded. Its incurable and contagious character, and its horrible effect upon its victims, filled the bravest with fear. Among the Jews it was regarded as a judgment on account of sin, and hence was called the stroke, the finger of God. Deep-rooted, ineradicable, deadly, it was looked upon as a symbol of sin. By the ritual law the leper was pronounced unclean. Like one already dead, he was shut out from the habitations of men. Whatever he touched was unclean. The air was polluted by his breath. One who was suspected of having the disease must present himself to the priests, who were to examine and decide his case. If pronounced a leper, he was isolated from his family, cut off from the congregation of Israel, and was doomed to associate with those only who were similarly afflicted. The law was inflexible in its requirement. Even kings and rulers were not exempt. A monarch who was attacked by this terrible disease must yield up the scepter and flee from society. Away from his friends and his kindred, the leper must bear the curse of his malady. He was obliged to publish his own calamity, to rend his garments and sound the alarm, warning all to flee from his contaminating presence. The cry, Unclean! Unclean! coming in mournful tones from the lonely exile, was a signal heard with fear and abhorrence. In the region of Christ's ministry there were many of these sufferers, and the news of his work reached them kindling a gleam of hope. But since the days of Elisha the prophet, such a thing had never been known as the cleansing of one upon whom this disease had fastened. They dared not expect Jesus to do for them what He had never done for any man. There was one, however, in whose heart faith began to spring up, yet the man knew not how to reach Jesus. Debarred as he was from contact with his fellow man, how could he present himself to the healer? And he questioned if Christ would heal him. Would he stoop to notice one believed to be suffering under the judgment of God? Would he not, like the Pharisees and even the physicians, pronounce a curse upon him and warn him to flee from the haunts of men? He thought of all that had been told him of Jesus. Not one who had sought his help had been turned away. The wretched man determined to find the Savior. Though shut out from the cities, it might be that he could cross his path in some byway along the mountain roads, or find him as he was teaching outside the towns. The difficulties were great, but this was his only hope. The leper is guided to the Savior. Jesus is teaching beside the lake, and the people are gathered about Him. Standing afar off, the leper catches a few words from the Savior's lips. He sees Him laying His hands upon the sick. He sees the lame, the blind, 
the paralytic, and those dying of various maladies rise up in health, praising God for their deliverance. Faith strengthens in his heart. He draws nearer, and yet nearer to the gathered throng. The restrictions laid upon him, the safety of the people, and the fear with which all men regard him are forgotten. He thinks only of the blessed hope of healing. He is a loathsome spectacle. The disease has made frightful inroads, and his decaying body is horrible to look upon. At sight of him the people fall back in terror. They crowd upon one another in their eagerness to escape from contact with him. Some try to prevent him from approaching Jesus, but in vain. He neither sees nor hears them. Their expressions of loathing are lost upon him. He sees only the Son of God. He hears only the voice that speaks life to the dying. Pressing to Jesus, he casts himself at his feet with the cry, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. Jesus replied, I will be thou made clean, and laid his hand upon him. Matthew chapter 8, verse 3, Revised Version. Immediately a change passed over the leper. His flesh became healthy, the nerves sensitive, the muscles firm. The rough, scaly surface peculiar to leprosy disappeared, and a soft glow like that upon the skin of a healthy child took its place. Jesus charged the man not to make known the work that had been wrought, but straightway to present himself with an offering at the temple. Such an offering could not be accepted until the priest had made examination and pronounced the man wholly free from the disease. However unwilling they might be to perform this service, they could not evade an examination and decision of the case. The words of Scripture show with what urgency Christ enjoined upon the man the necessity of silence and prompt action. He straightly charged him, and forthwith sent him away, and saith unto him, See thou say nothing to any man, but go thy way, show thyself to the priest, and offer for thy cleansing those things which Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. Had the priest known the facts concerning the healing of the leper, their hatred of Christ might have led them to render a dishonest sentence. Jesus desired the man to present himself at the temple before any rumors concerning the miracle had reached them. Thus an impartial decision could be secured, and the restored leper would be permitted to unite once more with his family and friends. There were other objects which Christ had in view in enjoining silence on the man. The Savior knew that his enemies were ever seeking to limit his work and to turn the people from him. He knew that if the healing of the leper were noised abroad, other sufferers from this terrible disease would crowd about him, and the cry would be raised that the people would be contaminated by contact with him. Many of the lepers would not so use the gift of health as to make it a blessing to themselves or to others. And by drawing the lepers about him, he would give occasion for the charge that he was breaking down the restrictions of the ritual law. Thus his work in preaching the gospel would be hindered. 
The event justified Christ's warning. A multitude of people had witnessed the healing of the leper, and they were eager to learn of the priest's decision. When the man returned to his friends, there was great excitement. Notwithstanding the caution of Jesus, the man made no further effort to conceal the facts of his cure. It would, indeed, have been impossible to conceal it, but the leper published the matter abroad. Conceiving that it was only the modesty of Jesus which had laid this restriction upon him, he went about proclaiming the power of his great healer. He did not understand that every such manifestation made the priests and elders more determined to destroy Jesus. The restored man felt that the boon of health was very precious. He rejoiced in the vigor of manhood and in his restoration to his family and society, and felt it impossible to refrain from giving glory to the physician who had made him whole. But his act in blazing abroad the matter resulted in hindering the Savior's work. It caused the people to flock to him in such multitudes that he was forced for a time to cease his labors. Every act of Christ's ministry was far-reaching in its purpose. It comprehended more than appeared in the act itself. So in the case of the leper. While Jesus ministered to all who came unto him, he yearned to bless those who came not. While he drew the publicans, the heathen, and the Samaritans, he longed to reach the priests and teachers who were shut in by prejudice and tradition. He left untried no means by which they might be reached. In sending the healed leper to the priests, he gave them a testimony calculated to disarm their prejudices. The Pharisees had asserted that Christ's teaching was opposed to the law which God had given through Moses. But his direction to the cleansed leper to present an offering according to the law disproved this charge. It was sufficient testimony for all who were willing to be convinced. The leaders at Jerusalem had sent out spies to find some pretext for putting Christ to death. He responded by giving them an evidence of his love for humanity, his respect for the law, and his power to deliver from sin and death. Thus he bore witness of them. They have rewarded me evil for good and hatred for my love. Psalms 109, verse 5. He who on the mount gave the precept, Love your enemies, himself exemplified the principle, not rendering evil for evil, or railing for railing, but contrariwise, blessing. Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, and 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The same priest who condemned the leper to banishment certified his cure. This sentence, publicly pronounced and registered, was a standing testimony for Christ. And as the healed man was reinstated in the congregation of Israel, upon the priest's own assurance that there was not a taint of the disease upon him, he himself was a living witness for his benefactor. Joyfully he presented his offering and magnified the name of Jesus. The priests were convinced of the divine power of the Savior. Opportunity was granted them to know the truth and to be profited by the light. Rejected, it would pass away never to return. 
By many the light was rejected, yet it was not given in vain. Many hearts were moved that for a time made no sign. During the Savior's life, His ministry seemed to call forth little response of love from the priests and teachers. But after His ascension, a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. Acts chapter 6, verse 7. The work of Christ in cleansing the leper from his terrible disease is an illustration of his work in cleansing the soul from sin. The man who came to Jesus was full of leprosy. Its deadly poison permeated his whole body. The disciples sought to prevent their master from touching him, for he who touched a leper became himself unclean. But in laying his hand upon the leper, Jesus received no defilement. His touch imparted life-giving power. The leprosy was cleansed. Thus it is with the leprosy of sin, deep-rooted, deadly, and impossible to be cleansed by human power. The whole head is sick, and the whole heart faint. From the sole of the foot even unto the head there is no soundness in it but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. Isaiah chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. But Jesus, coming to dwell in humanity, receives no pollution. His presence has healing virtue for the sinner. Whoever will fall at His feet, saying in faith, Lord, if Thou wilt, Thou canst make me clean, shall hear the answer, I will be thou made clean. Matthew chapter 8, verses 2 and 3, Revised Version. In some instances of healing, Jesus did not at once grant the blessing sought. But in the case of leprosy, no sooner was the appeal made than it was granted. When we pray for earthly blessings, the answer to our prayer may be delayed, or God may give us something other than we ask but not so when we ask for deliverance from sin. It is His will to cleanse us from sin, to make us His children, and to enable us to live a holy life. Christ gave Himself for our sins, that He might deliver us from this present evil world, according to the will of God and our Father. Galatians chapter 1, verse 4. And this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He heareth us. And if we know that He hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of Him. 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. In the healing of the paralytic at Capernaum, Christ again taught the same truth. It was to manifest His power to forgive sins that the miracle was performed. And the healing of the paralytic also illustrates other precious truths. It is full of hope and encouragement, and from its connection with the caviling Pharisees, it has a lesson of warning as well. Like the leper, this paralytic had lost all hope of recovery. His disease was the result of a life of sin, and his sufferings were embittered by remorse. 
he had long before appealed to the Pharisees and doctors, hoping for relief from mental suffering and physical pain. But they coldly pronounced him incurable, and abandoned him to the wrath of God. The Pharisees regarded affliction as an evidence of divine displeasure, and they held themselves aloof from the sick and the needy. Yet often these very ones who exalted themselves as holy were more guilty than the sufferers they condemned. The palsied man was entirely helpless, and, seeing no prospect of aid from any quarter, he had sunk into despair. Then he heard of the wonderful works of Jesus. He was told that others as sinful and helpless as he had been healed. Even lepers had been cleansed. And the friends who reported these things encouraged him to believe that he too might be cured if he could be carried to Jesus. But his hope fell when he remembered how the disease had been brought upon him. He feared that the pure physician would not tolerate him in his presence. Yet it was not physical restoration he desired so much as relief from the burden of sin. If he could see Jesus and receive the assurance of forgiveness and peace with heaven, he would be content to live or die according to God's will. The cry of the dying man was, Oh, that I might come into his presence. There was no time to lose. Already his wasted flesh was showing signs of decay. He besought his friends to carry him on his bed to Jesus, and this they gladly undertook to do. But so dense was the crowd that had assembled in and about the house where the Savior was, that it was impossible for the sick man and his friends to reach him, or even to come within hearing of his voice. Jesus was teaching in the house of Peter. According to their custom, his disciples sat close about him, and there were Pharisees and doctors of the law sitting by, which were come out of every town of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem. These had come as spies, seeking an accusation against Jesus. Outside of these officials thronged the promiscuous multitude, the eager, the reverent, the curious, and the unbelieving. Different nationalities and all grades of society were represented, and the power of the Lord was present to heal. The spirit of life brooded over the assembly. But Pharisees and doctors did not discern its presence. They felt no sense of need, and the healing was not for them. He hath filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he hath sent empty away. Luke chapter 1, verse 53. Again and again the bearers of the paralytic tried to push their way through the crowd, but in vain. The sick man looked about him in unutterable anguish. When the longed-for help was so near, how could he relinquish hope? At his suggestion, his friends bore him to the top of the house, and breaking up the roof, let him down at the feet of Jesus. The discourse was interrupted. The Savior looked upon the mournful countenance, and saw the pleading eyes fixed upon him. He understood the case. He had drawn to himself that perplexed and doubting spirit. While the paralytic was yet at home, the Savior had brought conviction to his conscience. When he repented of his sins, and believed in the power of Jesus to make him whole, the life-giving mercies of the Savior had first blessed his longing heart. 
Jesus had watched the first glimmer of faith grow in a belief that He was the sinner's only helper, and had seen it grow stronger with every effort to come into His presence. Now, in words that fell like music on the sufferer's ear, the Saviour said, Son, be of good cheer, thy sins be forgiven thee. The burden of despair rolls from the sick man's soul. The peace of forgiveness rests upon his spirit and shines out upon his countenance. His physical pain is gone, and his whole being is transformed. The helpless paralytic is healed. The guilty sinner is pardoned. In simple faith, he accepted the words of Jesus as the boon of new life. He urged no further request, but lay in blissful silence, too happy for words. The light of heaven irradiated his countenance, and the people looked with awe upon the scene. The rabbis had waited anxiously to see what disposition Christ would make of this case. They recollected how the man had appealed to them for help, and they had refused him hope or sympathy. Not satisfied with this, they had declared that he was suffering the curse of God for his sins. These things came fresh to their minds when they saw the sick man before them. They marked the interest with which all were watching the scene, and they felt a terrible fear of losing their own influence over the people. These dignitaries did not exchange words together, but looking into one another's faces, they read the same thought in each, that something must be done to arrest the tide of feeling. Jesus had declared that the sins of the paralytic were forgiven. The Pharisees caught at these words as blasphemy, and conceived that they could present this as a sin worthy of death. They said in their hearts, He blasphemeth. Who can forgive sins but one, even God? Mark chapter 2, verse 7, Revised Version. Fixing His glance upon them, beneath which they cowered and drew back, Jesus said, Wherefore think ye evil in your hearts? For whether is easier to say, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise and walk? But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins, he said, turning to the paralytic, Arise, take up thy bed, and go unto thine house. Then he who had been born on a litter to Jesus rises to his feet with the elasticity and strength of youth. The life-giving blood bounds through his veins. Every organ of his body springs into sudden activity. The glow of health succeeds the power of approaching death. And immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went forth before them all, insomuch that they were all amazed, and glorified God, saying, We never saw it on this fashion. O wondrous love of Christ, stooping to heal the guilty and the afflicted, divinity soaring over and soothing the ills of suffering humanity! O marvelous power, thus displayed to the children of men! Who can doubt the message of salvation? Who can slight the mercies of a compassionate Redeemer? It required nothing less than creative power to restore health to that decaying body. The same voice that spoke life to man, created from the dust of the earth, had spoken life to the dying paralytic. And the same power that gave life to the body had renewed the heart. He who at the creation spake, and it was done, who commanded, and it stood fast, Psalms 33, verse 9, had spoken life to the soul dead in trespasses and sins. 
The healing of the body was an evidence of the power that had renewed the heart. Christ bade the paralytic arise and walk, that ye may know, he said, that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. The paralytic found in Christ healing for both the soul and the body. The spiritual healing was followed by physical restoration. This lesson should not be overlooked. There are today thousands suffering from physical disease who, like the paralytic, are longing for the message, Thy sins are forgiven. The burden of sin, with its unrest and unsatisfied desires, is the foundation of their maladies. They can find no relief until they come to the healer of the soul. The peace, which He alone can give, would impart vigor to the mind and health to the body. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. In Him was life, and He says, I am come that they might have life, and that they might have it more abundantly. He is a quickening spirit, 1 John 3, verse 8. John chapter 1, verse 4, John chapter 10, verse 10, and 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 45. And He still has the same life-giving power as when on earth He healed the sick, and spoke forgiveness to the sinner. He forgiveth all thine iniquities. He healeth all thy diseases. Psalms, the 103rd chapter, verse 3. The effect produced upon the people by the healing of the paralytic was as if heaven had opened, and revealed the glories of the better world. As the man who had been cured passed through the multitude, blessing God at every step, and bearing his burden as if it were a feather's weight, the people fell back to give him room, and with awe-stricken faces gazed upon him, whispering softly among themselves, We have seen strange things today. The Pharisees were dumb with amazement and overwhelmed with defeat. They saw that here was no opportunity for their jealousy to inflame the multitude. The wonderful work wrought upon the man whom they had given over to the wrath of God had so impressed the people that the rabbis were for the time forgotten. They saw that Christ possessed a power which they had ascribed to God alone, yet the gentle dignity of His manner was in marked contrast to their own haughty bearing. They were disconcerted and abashed recognizing, but not confessing, the presence of a superior being. The stronger the evidence that Jesus had power on earth to forgive sins, the more firmly they entrenched themselves in unbelief. From the home of Peter, where they had seen the paralytic restored by his word, they went away to invent new schemes for silencing the Son of God. Physical disease, however malignant and deep-seated, was healed by the power of Christ. But the disease of the soul took a firmer hold upon those who closed their eyes against the light. Leprosy and palsy were not so terrible as bigotry and unbelief. In the home of the healed paralytic there was great rejoicing when he returned to his family, carrying with ease the couch upon which he had been slowly borne from their presence but a short time before. They gathered round with tears of joy, scarcely daring to believe their eyes. He stood before them in the full vigor of manhood. Those arms that they had seen lifeless were quick to obey His will. The flesh that had been shrunken and leaden-hued was now fresh and ruddy. 
he walked with a firm, free step. Joy and hope were written in every lineament of his countenance, and an expression of purity and peace had taken the place of the marks of sin and suffering. Glad thanksgiving went up from that home, and God was glorified through His Son, who had restored hope to the hopeless and strength to the stricken one. This man and his family were ready to lay down their lives for Jesus. No doubt dimmed their faith. No unbelief marred their fealty to Him who had brought light into their darkened home.